Hello again, everyone. Good morning. He's Brent. He's Alan. <laughs> uh, welcome to another episode of AV Testing. Happy to have you here. Good to see you, Brent. Good to see you, too, Alan. We're recording on a Monday. How was your weekend? Uh, it was great. I finally won some points from the family. Did you just spend the weekend away from them? Uh, no. Did you? At, at this point in time, I still have my daughter who still likes me. Okay, that's good. That's yeah. good. You just uh, just make a bunch of food for them. What you do? How'd you win some points? I did actually make some tell, food. Tell, tell me about, about tell that. me about the point scoring system. Uh, I finally put the pool up. Oh, yeah. and it's perfect time. It's supposed to be hot, hot, hot. It this week. Um, it took me two days to put the pool up. Yeah, because uh, I could only stand being outside <laughs> doing manual labor in the full sun for like an hour at a time. Well, there are things called mornings and evenings where it's a little cooler. I had the plan to do it in the morning, but my daughter got up and wanted to play, and that sounded like more fun than putting up the pool. I suppose. (laughs) Cool. This is episode 86, by the way. It is. If you're new to A-B testing, this is the podcast by Alan and Brent. That's the A and the B, where we talk about testing sometimes, a lot of software engineering, Mm. software quality. Uh, of course, modern testing principles have been the topic uh, for the last many, many episodes. Yep. Uh, you can go to moderntesting.org and read those. Uh, and we have been doing recently some deeper dives, medium dives, spending about an episode each discussing them. Drill-ins. Gonna, drill-ins, we're going to call them. Is that a Microsoft term? No. Maybe. Maybe. Well, I, it I, is definitely I, management speak. Management speak. Yeah. I like what they say. Let's double click on that. Heard that one? Let's double click and shift left. Let's. I want to shift out. <laughs> shift out. I'm gonna, just going to drop. You know what I'm going to do? Shift up. I See, mean, there's so many directions to shift. I know. And I don't have nearly as many meetings. In fact, I have one-on-ones and then like two or three other meetings a week. But I, I wish I had more because I. one thing I would like to do because it's fun. You wish? I'm sorry. No, no, no. You no. wish you had let me, more meetings? Let me finish what the you thought. Just said? I, I wish I had some bad meetings because um, I wish I had, I wanted to go like you know, to Microsoft just, just to go to meetings and have some of the bad ones again where I could just drop random buzzwords that mean nothing and see if they catch on. Like, we should shift out on that. Or. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be fun. <laughs> Hold on a second. Let's right click on that and, <laughs> and get some more context. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the the trick is to come up with something entirely new, though. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Because like everyone's, you know, they're just evolving. Like, why is it left shift? Why isn't it right shift? Well, shift right. Right. Correct. So, uh, I mean, you got the double entendre with right. So if you shifted right... Right, the direction doesn't matter, and you it could be implying you know you're going more correct, you're shifting to correct. Oh, it could be, it could be. Yeah. So I need to think for a minute. What's a, what's like a computing term that hasn't been used in a managerial speak? I'm thinking something like along the lines of distributed networks. They're all the the rage right now. You got big data, but it, you know if you try to invent something now, you're like five years too late. All right, I'm going to come up with those, or you can send those in to. Uh the mailbag at A-B testing. Sure. Uh, Yet another place where A-B testing adds value to the world. We'll start creating whole new buzzwords. Sure. Sure. That's our, that's our value to the world. 
in between last time and this time, I spoke to the internet a little bit about uh, modern testing again. I did uh, an AMA and asked me anything for Ministry of Test. And I will. there is a recording of it available. I will put in a link. If I don't, uh, you can yell at me on Twitter. But I will try and remember when I post this show to put a link to the recording uh, where I answered a bunch of questions uh, hosted by our good friend, Vernon. And I answer questions about modern testing. Yeah, I, I went back and I, I watched that video. First off... It's Wait, was a, there a video? I said it was. I, I forgot. It's yeah. a video... So I totally shouldn't have picked my nose so much. You really shouldn't have. Uh, and it was shocking. I'm like, oh, my God, Alan's face. I'm like, is the whole world ready for this? There's a reason we do a podcast. <laughs> There's a reason we do a podcast. Uh, yeah, mostly me. But yeah. Um, oh, but yeah, for sure, mostly <laughs> you. I am certainly glad I did not join you in that adventure because some of those questions were really hard. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't join me because you give really long answers. And I gave longer answers. <laughs> we got to the yeah. end. Vernon tried to go rapid fire, but I, I couldn't let it go. Uh, sometimes, right? There was one time you were like, no. <laughs> and then I elaborated. Uh, we're going to dive into principle number five, five of seven. And this is the one about the customer. And surprisingly there's a little bit of controversy around this one we'll go into anything else before we uh, dive in are you no, good to go let's good go. to go okay uh again you can read these on moderntesting.org but principle number five says uh we believe that the customer is the only one capable to judge and evaluate the quality of our product agreed yeah well duh <laughs> okay and thank you for listening yeah, to ab testing this has been i'm alan <laughs> i'm <laughs> Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was one of your questions on on AMA. Before we reflect back on that, briefly, tell me, and I'm going to go into the controversy too, the controversy, the question, but before we do that, tell me why is this the principle? Why, why is this worth bringing up along with the other six? The number one reason, and, and I've cited this over- Number one. The, I've cited this over and over again. One of the things that I think especially true for those of us who have been in the industry for a long time, and uh, it is sort of seductive to believe that, hey, I've been doing this forever. I know what I'm doing. Right? You, you've seen a lot of folks uh, along those lines. But there is a... Uh, forgetting is, is how I'll, I'll call it. As I cited from Tom Poppendike over and over again, no customer ever in the history of the world has ever wanted software. Correct. Um, in any way, shape, or form. What do they want before you go on? They want their problem solved. Absolutely. The, we need to remember that. That means... There is a risk, and I have observed this, and I'm, I'm highly certain you have as well, that there is trust in the test community that when they're given a requirements doc or when they're told something from uh, their PM, that 
that actually is going to solve somebody's problem down the road. A, a big portion of this principle is intended to force people to think about what are they doing that is actually solving a customer problem theoretically versus actually. And it's, it's to force the, the modern tester to go, no matter how right I think I am, it's still just a theory. Um, it, it's a hypothesis. It's a hypothesis. To be clear. You want to pick up? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Sure. So what I've what I've seen, and to build on that, we can both reflect, and probably anybody who's been doing software for a reasonable amount of time, reasonable amount of time, or any probably a lot some of you, maybe this week, last week, you are on a team or you've seen teams who build software because they think it'll be cool. Or we're doing this feature because the, we like it. Without often thinking about what problem are you solving. It's amazing sometimes when you talk to teams and just ask them that question. What problem are we solving with this? They'll, they'll use it. No, that isn't solving a problem. <laughs> and uh, well, what's, you know, what's, what's the customer value of this? Um, they'll use it. And well, I've seen this over and over, and Brent's laughing, but you think about it, because it's, it's They're funny not quite and sad that because feeble, it's true. But in my experience, but generally darn close. I, I've told the story for years about shimmery blue menus, and, it, yeah. <laughs> and there was a time at Microsoft, and this is a, uh, a joke I used to make when I was teaching courses 10 years ago. It's been a long time about shimmery blue menus because shimmery blue menus are not a real feature. I'm just, these are my canonical example of something you're building because you think it's cool, but nobody really needs it. And what happens is the program manager wants thinking about features they need to do. They go, what about shimmery blue menus? I go, huh, we should do shimmery blue menus. And then someone will say, maybe we'll say, problem does that solve? And they'll say, oh, customers need it. And they'll justify it. They'll go to a customer and say, Hey, do you think we need shimmery blue menus? And they go, sure, whatever. They go, oh, customers are demanding shimmery blue menus. They're waiting for this feature. We got to go do it. Maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but there's so much reflection in my past of doing features and the build it and they will come mentality. Field of, field of dream software. Yes. Uh, we're going to build this thing and we'll give it to you after a long development cycle. Can and we the, trademark Field of Dreams software, even and, though Field of Dreams is probably trademarked? And in the end, you will like it. But uh, yes, you, and, and you've, because, you've seen this, right? Oh, this part I've seen over and over again. I have, uh, this is hyperbole, but there is, there... Wait, hyperbole on the A-B testing podcast? Yeah, Whoa. I'm going to be careful because it's modern. We're much more modern world. But let's just say, I don't know, five, ten years ago, it was impossible to have a conversation with a PM and not walk away with the sense that they were the next Steve Jobs. Oh, God. Right? It's, it's a lot of requirements, <laughs> Doc. What... A lot of the requirements stock is is built off of uh, processes similar to what Alan just described. It is, hey, a customer, uh, um, uh, a PM, they have their own day job to do, and sometimes it, it's calling out the customers. 
and they will call out to one or two and, and establish a pattern off of that. Now, is that a pattern? No, of course not. However, their job is to get new features in, and if they, they've encountered a new um, requirement that they could build upon, that's fantastic, right? They, they're able to, to add that requirement into the dock and, and um, get engineering rolling. Now, it's interesting because you say shimmery blue. Um, I've actually had to deal with that, and it literally was blue. It wasn't shimmery. Uh, years ago, I was in MSTV, and Microsoft was building the software for Comcast. And Comcast rejected our our um, software, not once, but twice, because we had the wrong blue in our CSL. And, it, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm like, wow, really? Yes. And again, twice. Well, I mean, there's, there's a design choice there, and there's plenty of stories about Google trying out 50 different or whatever shades of blue it was for their links before they chose the right one. There now, is- in, in, in the case of, of Comcast, right, blue is part, at least it was back then, now they've got this red, black, and white theme with their Xfinity stuff, but blue blue was part of the brand. I don't know. Get ditched cable. I don't know. I was going to bring something up. Oh, I had a little, I glazed over for a minute there while my PTSD kicked in on when, just showing out, um, when the jobs book came out, uh, or the first couple jobs books came out after, after, after he passed away. Oh. Uh, oh my God. So many, I mean, there was one in particular, a, I'll finish my thought. A bunch of people decided to start comparing themselves to Steve Jobs. Literally. And there was one High-level test director, you and I both know. I won't shame him on the air. Who, who, in a meeting, no metaphor aside, flat out said, "says I'm making this choice. This is what Steve Jobs would do." He basically called himself Steve Jobs, and that that was that was like, "Oh God, please, please let it end, please let it end." But even Steve Jobs, uh, he was the one. I'm still winding back. I'm like. We don't know any test directors because they're gone. Well, we did. We <laughs> did. We did. They were Peter principled up to a level far beyond the capability and since retired once they, once in the new world figured out they had no you use. You know, it's funny I'm, because we know so many of those folks and several of them are alike. I, I cannot get guess who it is at the moment uh, I'll, I'll let you know off air yeah uh, I i'll understand. let you know off air i have several guesses uh, yeah I, i'm pretty sure sh- all I'm, of them having that conversation i'm pretty you. sure <laughs> i'm pretty sure you could nail it um wasn't it steve jobs who when there was the uh i can't, I can't remember which iphone it was but there was an antenna issue and wasn't he the one that said it's because they're holding it wrong I don't think that or, was or, or is that Steve a successor? That, did that I think that was one of his underlings. But, but that's a great example of. I mean, it doesn't matter. And the customer customer is the only one capable to evaluate quality, and they can hold the phone however they freaking want to hold the phone. Right, right. Um, this is still prevalent uh, in today's world. Like I have conversations similar to this over and over and over again. This principle is essentially uh, the modern testing version of 
the customer is always right. Perhaps, perhaps. And so let's talk about, which makes so much common sense, but let me play, um, that's not even devil's advocate. I'm going to bring up the controversy and let you, There's, believe it or not, there is controversy around this testing principle. Uh, probably this one is probably second on the, if you're going to rank them in order of controversy behind principle number seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of you are going, how the hell can this be controversial? But let me bring up a few points for you. So here's the easy one. As testers, we are the customer. We're the last line of defense, Brent. We're the only ones capable of sympathizing and making sure the customer is getting it. So really, as a tester, I am the customer. No. (laughs) So... Yeah, that that's a little bit of a softball, but no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, no, no, it's just no. You're not the customer, and and I I figured this part out years ago, but doesn't matter how much we're trying. It's like trying to replicate. Here's an example. Do you remember Int? Int. Do you remember the Int? data type? No, <laughs> Int the integration environment. Oh my God! <laughs> there was a time early in the services world of Microsoft where there was this massive ridiculous integration environment that was uh, done. It was people trying to do testing there and they wanted it to replicate production as much as they could. And it never even got close. Never, ever, ever, (laughs) ever. And, and um, they held on to the theory that it would Uh, hindsight 2020. I'm not at all certain why, Um, but the, the biggest cause uh, and this was actually something that test played into it. One of the one of the problems with with our automation, we would target automation that would deploy out in Int. And one of the biggest issues with a with a with a non prod Int environment, uh, particularly with how automation was deployed, is that it was always covering um, the clean room. Uh, scenario. Sure. And I have nothing against integration environments and doing testing in some sort of pre-production environment that there's plenty of reasons to do that. But do not ever kid yourself and think that your pre-production environment, whatever you call it, is a reasonable facsimile for production. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is... It simulates production environment exactly once in its lifetime. <laughs> and even even then, not exactly, because it's not running on the same hardware. It's 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 running differently in production. Yeah, well it could. I mean I mean that's still it's still possible. Do your teams at Microsoft use Docker? Did teams use Docker at Microsoft? Oh my God. You know what? Just before coming in here, I was gonna sh- I was going to share with you off the air around, um, dude, I don't understand how we got stuff done back in the day without containers. <laughs> um, because that that Docker has been one example where it's containerization has helped with test environments, making them much closer, again, for one time only, but giving you a much closer to production environment that's much easier and quicker to set up and tear down. Yeah, containers... Uh, my experience with containers, um, they keep talking about, uh, those of us in the, in the cloud industry, we keep talking about 
that at some future date, uh, compute will be the fifth utility. Um, behind water and electricity and <laughs> right and then so you don't have to spend much time with containers to go oh I see how that's going to be possible containers they just work and they just do the calculation that you want them to do right and it and it's just like whoa. I didn't have to configure crap. I didn't have to yell at IT for rebooting my container. Uh, I didn't have to do any of this. No. Like, it, it's just friggin' fantastic. From a platform side and from a developer side, I will say um, that does create problems for us in the cloud industry uh, because we have this sort of generic compute interface at the top. But yeah, underneath it, it's running on different pieces of hardware, and, and um, each component in that hardware could be could be um, very different, right? We have a a new generation of hardware in Azure, <clears throat> and it took us months to realize that there was this one memory chip vendor who had poorly manufactured it. For us to figure out that that was what was causing these containers would uh, to to reboot, even though they shouldn't. Ah. Right? Let me let me reel you back into the customer. Yep. Ask another question. So, what if? So testing is not the customer. Testing is not the customer. And that above and beyond everything is what we want to get across. Okay, but 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 but. Okay, my I have a B two B business. So is who's my so I'm meaning I business to business. I, my, right, right, right. My software, just for the listeners who may not have heard that acronym before. But so I'm making something for another business to do something with, or and then they have a, a, a customer. Um, who's my? Which one's my customer? What are my choices? Uh, this business I'm delivering software to, or maybe the is is it who I'm delivering it to, or the end customers? Like, is it the end user? Like, if I'm giving a platform to some company and they're using it to build software for maybe their internal systems or maybe for an external customer. Uh, how does that work? Who uh, is my, who is my customer? How do I figure out who my customer actually is? In a platform situation, that can be a challenge, right? Because you, uh, when you're a platform, for, so for example, uh, Unity. <laughs> I didn't want to bring it up directly. I'll let right. you do it. Right. Unity is a is a... I'm sure you guys... I think it's a little easier in our case. My customer, well, for most of it, the vast majority, this is actually a good question. Unity, holistically, our customer is the developer, the developer making Unity, but not in every situation. Yeah, you definitely have two customers. We do, we do. And, and in the B2B play, you also definitely have two customers, right? In the case of Unity, um, developers who want to design games, um, they don't have to go to Unity. There are, what, five to ten major game engines out on the market? They don't have to go right. with your company. So what differentiates? What differentiates is the capabilities and um, uh, 
Well, so there was a long study. The customer experience could be capabilities and features or ease of use, lots of things. Yeah, uh, and and one of the one of the um, analyses I would do at your company is go and look at okay, how do we grow the attach rate of of the developers on the Unity platform? How do we once they once they try us out, how do how do we get them to stay? Mm-hmm. How do they get how do we get them to engage with us directly on 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 feature requests? This actually was the Microsoft play back in the nineteen early nineteen nineties. Sure. Right? Um it was we got the developer, we got the world. But the other aspect is as well is these developers are building software for end users. And it's that end user where um, ultimately your guys' paycheck comes from. Correct. Well, I mean, yes. Ultimately, yes. But it's a you can draw a feed. You could. There's a nice feedback loop there. The, yes, we need to enable our developer customers to give their customers something world they find value in. awesomeness and then they, that feedback comes to them and then comes by us do you, you can i can't draw it on a podcast but there's a nice little there's a nice little loop there right um if your platform has performance issues uh so for example in um or if our if our game engine components crash right uh you're not you're you're basically going to be a platform that gets abandoned because the the developers who are using would, your platform can't make their customers happy. Correct. Correct. So in that particular case, um, the two sets of people who are your customer are your developers and are the developers yeah. of your platform. And true. And I think it's going to be the same for and the and their customers. I think it's going to be the same for. I would imagine that's the same for any sort of business to business type thing as well. Any any place where it's essentially a platform component that's indirectly yep. talking. I'm trying to think where it would be difficult to figure out who your customer is, but I but I, I honestly, if you can't figure out who your customer is, if it's that difficult, I think there's a deeper problem there in, in your software company. I can, yeah, I think I can understand why it would be it could be difficult to get. Feedback from an end user, but here, uh, um, but there are still ways, right? It, it um, there. So in a B two B play, let's let's say, uh, actually, this was this was big news recently. Walmart and Azure are are joining hands. We, uh, you you could. It's very easy to see um, that uh, Walmart competes with Amazon in the retail space. Azure competes with Amazon on the cloud space. So uh, does does Microsoft want Walmart to improve and, and win in, in their particular market? You bet. Right? Um, now – that's probably the as far in the details on that particular topic I can go into. On on any of these indirect things, on a platform, you live and die on the ability of the people above you to satisfy their customers. If you don't have direct customers, now one of the things 
that I've seen on the B2B discussion is, oh, no, so, so some company comes down and leads on requirements. And I'm just going to say, anytime anyone delivers requirements, you're better suited to treat those as hypotheses. Let's, let me loop this back. You may need to deliver on those requirements because of contractual agreement. Let me just sure. finish there. But that's the bare minimum. And you should be gathering whatever data you can. If you think one of those requirements is baloney, you should be gathering whatever data you can and go back to that contract and say, hey, we actually think our relationship is better going in this direction. And here's our information that backs that up. One of the things I think can help uh, someone, a, a team practicing modern testing principles or someone leading the team in that direction to really uh, nail this principle is to have those conversations around things like requirements. Talk about or ask, what is the problem we're solving? Yes. And from that requirement, it may change from then. I think requirements end up being a lot versus being a lot of want versus need. And asking questions like, uh, what problem are we solving? We'll help, we'll help vet that out. There's a question our good old friend and sometimes listener Jim Moore used to ask all the time. When someone would, would get, come to him with some long request uh, or some complex request, something they wanted, he would follow up. This is a great question. So imagine you had all that. What do you do with it? And they give an answer. And from that, you can figure out what they really need and go, okay, could I just do this instead? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. And, and you need uh, a team following modern testing principles who embraces this principle are going to be very good at asking the questions, whether they're around a requirement slash hypothesis, mm -hmm. a customer request from a forum, for example. Uh, customers engaging online tend to be a just loud majority of your customers, but not representative of all your customers. So you don't just want to make them happy. You want to figure out what customer problem can we solve? So learning how to ask questions around uh, problems you're solving, uh, trying to understand need versus want can really help make your team excel at this principle. For that, sure. That, that's my brief little soapbox on this. Yeah. Um for me, the best thing I have found is anytime someone has communicated requirements uh, to me, I will uh, echo back the requirements, but I will use them. Okay, so what you're requesting from me, I will change it to the word request in my communication back. And then in my thought process, I view the word requirement and hypothesis as synonyms. And uh, I find that that last aspect, whether or not you do it publicly or doing it privately, I think that aspect is actually really important um, because it'll, it forces you to consider that you may be doing work that does not achieve the ultimate goal. And that goal is where all these precision questions that Alan just referred to come from. There are many times where I have been told what to do. And in general, that is because that's, that's that individual's best guess as to what can be done. And I have found that more often than not, that if you can decompose that and figure out what it is 
that they need. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes you'll do exactly, okay, I get what you need, and yeah, I can't think of a better way of doing this. For sure, for sure. Right? Um, in, in my scenario, with you know, they're coming to me to do it generally because I'm the knowledge expert. I, I know more things about this space than what they do, which gives me the opportunity to go, no, I think actually what you need is this. How about if I do this instead? What you end up doing when you really execute on this principle is you solve customer problems in priority order. Like what's the biggest problem? You understand what's the biggest problem we can solve for our customers and you solve that. You help that you help them solve that and you move down the list. So it's as much about I mean, it's delivering quality by or drill, delivering value to the customer by solving their most most important problems first. Yes. Now, let's talk about scorecards. No, let's not. Okay, fine. Let's talk about <laughs> scorecards. Thank you. <laughs> I know it's one of your least favorite topics, but I think it's uh, important. I could tell stories about why I hate them so much, but let me um, but go well, ahead. Well, I think, I think we should talk about it, right? The, the, if we're saying the customer, so the controversy with this principle um, is what is the definition of customer, okay? And what we're saying, it is a human who is taking a dependency on what you are releasing. And that human is the one who's making a decision as to whether or not it is quality. Okay. okay? So if you have a business-to-business contractual agreement, that's not a human who's taking a dependency. That's a piece of paper. Now, it may specify hypotheses around this, and it may even specify legal consequences if you don't deliver on those hypotheses. But just recall that there's still a hypothesis. Now, we could have a scorecard that says that we delivered on it. Okay. Now, so let's say you delivered a, a scorecard all green, and it released to the wild, and you're in this B2B scenario. You still run the risk because you delivered what that other business wanted instead of what they needed. You still run the risk that they pay you for your contract and then leave you. Sure. Because. And there are probably, I didn't dig any out in advance, but uh, anecdotally, from my experience, I can tell you this happens or happened frequently or not rarely. Not. Yeah, not rarely. I've seen this happen. As have I. Uh, Trying to remember that stupid phone product Microsoft built. Oh, Kin. Yeah. Yeah. Kin? Yeah, it was Kin. Yeah. That was was a required – it was essentially someone or some set of someones had this idea of of producing a a hybrid dumb smartphone – yeah. Right. It was smart enough phone, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it was where the f- we could keep the price point super cheap and mm-hmm. target tweens. Sure. That's exactly what it was for. Right. This is a great example of building something that doesn't. Yeah, building the wrong thing. Right now, the if we, if we were part of the business team and doing a re- retrospective on this, right, we would want to go back and go, okay, what could we have? We've now learned. 
that the market doesn't want one of these things, right? What could we have done earlier to come to the same conclusion? During that time, and I ran the last test pass on Kin. Yeah. I did not know. Um, and you're still, they didn't just flat out fire the whole team? That's why I ran the last test pass. Oh. Because <laughs> we had, um, uh, it was a special deal with Verizon. Verizon wanted, had all of this hardware stock, and they wanted to, to sell it out. And so, the, oh, the, yeah, after, yeah. So yeah, they, changed, yeah. they changed some of the software to, to turn it into. This is after, I mean, this is a product that was out on the market for a right. week or two and then just given up on. And I want to literally sp- state, I literally ran the last test pass. I literally executed the very last set of test cases on this one. And this was me as a, back then I was a test manager. But it was one of those things where I wasn't going to assign it to one of my ICs. Not if I wanted to keep them on the team. But what a great example of just shipping the wrong thing. This is. Well, and that's part of the, the learning lessons here is we did ship the wrong thing. And we spent a lot of costs. And if we had gone back and we had said, okay, the customer is the only one qualified to make a judgment call here, how can we – how can we test our hypotheses here much sooner, much yes. cheaper yes. before Go going all in on the this, market? This is maybe the canonical example of Field of Dreams engineering. Yeah. Now, there was we were in transition back in those times. A lot of the lot of it was a very predictive software development cycle. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't exist anymore. I know. Well, and I did want to mention. Or it doesn't need to exist. I take that back. We don't have the infrastructure requirements to force a, 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 a get it right the first time when your delivery date's three years from now. Right. That's just that's foolishness in today's market. It is. I was just going to note that it's incredible that um, after the failure of Kin, that Microsoft was able to turn things around and become a world class phone business. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I don't have any information here that's not public knowledge. I keep seeing news reports about uh, the Surface phone, right? Um, and I keep – I'm curious about this this one because every time something else comes out, it still does not – claim that the project's been abandoned, right? And um, I'm curious about that. Is like, okay, so if we're not abandoning it, are we going down some sort of intuitive route? Or have we learned from our, our, our prior mistakes and are we leapfrogging? And I really don't know. I don't know either. I did want to, there was- well, I will state- if, I don't think anyone on the business team listens to the podcast, but pretty if they sure do, they don't. If they do, like if it doesn't directly contain, say, the Android App Store or the iPhone App Store, yeah, like what are you doing? Right. <laughs> so I think we've made our point that absolutely customer is important. 
we as modern testers or people driving modern testing principles need to help our teams figure out what customer problems we're solving and drive the team in that direction. And we talked about some different ways we can do that. Anything else on this topic? Talked about asking the right questions, prioritizing. Uh, treating it as a hypothesis that, that your work should prove or disprove. You can go with a negative aspect and say, I'm not going to just trust the requirement. But you can also think of it from principle number one. Hey, so this requirement stock is a list of someone's hypotheses around how we can build a better business. Principle number one, test is not just, test is no longer just a cost reducer. No. We're looking at, we're also looking at how do we drive revenue, mm-hmm. right? Um, so with these hypotheses in play, okay, and, and with our knowledge of what makes a customer happy and what solves a customer's problems, what can we do to uh, prove or disprove these hypotheses? And the ones where we gain knowledge, what can we do to grow those? The biggest aspect, I think, of modern testing is that they shift to being a, a, a more active portion, a more active participant in the business and are concerned with growing that business. It's not about preventing customer harm anymore. Certainly, that's important. It's about how do we, if the customer is the only one qualified to define if it's a quality software situation and a quality software situation, as we covered here over and over and over again, sometimes customers care about bugs. Sometimes they don't. They care about their problems solved. Correct. How do we, how do we take that and help the business grow faster? Yeah. I think this principle is a lot about just, re-emphasizing how important that customer prioritization is in order to make quality software. There's a there's a model, a bunch of variations of this that show the CEO at the bottom and then managers and then individual contributors who are making who are making a lot of decisions and then on top of that, the customer. It's, yeah. So the customer leads the way and being able to drive the team towards recentering the team, I guess would be a uh, good way of putting it, of continuously recentering the team around the importance of the customer and the importance of solving their problems. If there's anything ar- around this one that I would say we, um, the test community should walk away with is we are abjectly saying, no, an end user is the single most important in an indirect situation, there may be other people's opinions that are important on if it's a quality, but ultimately it's the end user who's benefiting from, the, from whatever you're producing, your solution to a problem. Number two, test is absolutely not a representative of the customer. They are not the customer. They should stop pretending to be one. For sure. I think we're good. So uh, thanks again for listening. We'll dive into number six next time. I am still Alan, I think. 
I think so too. All right, great. And we'll I'm see. Brent. Bye. Yeah, whatever. We'll see you next time. Rock and roll.